today's discussion is a little bit different to what I normally do and we're going to be talking about a case of Shamima Begum. Please keep in mind I'm only 17 and I have no legal background and no legal knowledge. This is all information I have accumulated by my reading and just by my research and I hope to provide a wider perspective than what already exists on this argument. The case of Shamima Begum is a case about legal interpretation and not ethics. The case of Shamima Begum has been surrounded by an ethical debate. At the age of 15, she left the UK of her own will after being radicalised by ISIS. She then joined the terrorist organisation and was discovered in a Syrian refugee camp in 2019. She actually gave birth to a child in that camp, but the child died before the legal fight over whether or not the Home Secretary had been entitled to strip her of her UK citizenship had concluded. Since under the Bangladeshi law, Begum would be entitled to Bangladeshi citizenship through her mother, the Special Immigration Appeals Commission, or the SIAC, which is a court that deals with the issues of national security, this held that the Home Secretary's decision did not actually violate the obligation not to leave Begum stateless. This ruling was made despite the February 2019 statement of the Bangladeshi Ministry of Foreign Affairs that Begum is not a Bangladeshi citizen and would not even be allowed into the country. This case raises a bundle of social, cultural and ethical issues. The fact that she left the UK at 15 so as young and an impressionable child is often seen as one element that should have influenced the Home Secretary more towards not denying her citizenship. Others have argued that the decision was politicised, influenced not merely by her joining of a terrorist group or organisation, but also by Begum's early interview, in which she seemed to show very little compassion. In The Guardian, on the 11th of February 2020, Kapoor argued, quote, that the foolishness of an utterances of a teenager are not enough reason to deprive her of citizenship, close quote. And what is the message to minorities within Britain? In The Guardian, on the 7th of February 2020, Khan argues that this is a case and this is a message to minorities in the UK that they are not seen as fully British. Are they seen as second-class citizens? All these arguments somehow seem to assume that the law is a moral affair. The law can be judged by our morals and values and we may dislike it, but its decisions are certainly not up for review in courtrooms. Moral arguments that argue that the law as it is when applied is unjust should be heard in the halls of parliament and the legislative bodies so that the law can be changed. Moral arguments are only appropriate in a courtroom when the law itself lays down a moral test. It is not for the court to change the law. They are primarily adjudicators of the law, not makers of it. But was there a way out for the court? Were there legal reasons for not allowing the Home Secretary to exercise his power to strip Begum of her UK citizenship? Well, yes. The courts took a legalist approach which ignored the reality outside the courtroom. Confined to the sources of statute and common law, the courts concluded that all the necessary legal elements were actually given. So now I'm just going to be talking about some legal jargon and just some legal provisions that this case was under. 
So the first one is the 40 section 2 of the British Nationality Act in 1981, which gives the Home Secretary the power to deprive Begum of her citizenship. Next, under international law, an exercise of this power should not be able to leave Begum stateless. For more information on this, you can see the 1954 convention relating to the status of stateless persons and the 1961 convention on the reduction of statelessness. The UK incorporated its international obligation into domestic law through 40, section 4004 of the British Nationality Act of 1981. The obligation is therefore part of the English law and cannot be avoided. It is therefore no longer enough to just look at the section 40, brackets 4, of the National, British and the British Nationality Act of 1981. The court also needs to find that Begum would not be left stateless. The court looked at Bangladeshi law under which Begum would be eligible for citizenship due to her mother. The court therefore concluded that the Home Secretary's decision was legal. When one leaves out the fact that Bangladesh clearly stated that they did not regard Begum as a citizen and would even refuse to let her in the country, to me this decision seems very clear-cut. The court's decision highlights an issue of interpretation. What defines statelessness? De facto statelessness or de jure statelessness? SIAC was aware of the issue and directly addressed it by referring and referencing FAM v Secretary of State for the Home Department. This case was considered and concerned as a similar issue of that as Begum. National laws indicated de jure citizenship, but there was concern over whether or not the state practice would live up to that. However, the potential dichotomy between the de jure and de facto scenario did not prevent the judges from sticking with a legalist approach and merely considering just the de jure side. Quote, If the relevant facts are known, and on the basis of those facts and the expert evidence, it is clear that under the law of a foreign state, an individual is a national of that state, then he is not de jure stateless. If the government of the foreign state chooses to act contrary to its own law, it may render the individual de facto statelessness. Our own codes, however, must respect the rule of law and cannot characterize the individual as de jure statelessness, says Jackson L.J. in FAM. End quote. As morally appealing as the invocation of the rule of law may be, it does little to fight for an individual who is nonetheless rendered de facto statelessness. The office at the UN High Commissioner for Refugees states the following on international law's definition of statelessness. Quote, the 1954 Convention Relating to Status of Stateless Persons defines a stateless person as a person who is, quote, not considered as national by any state under the operation of its law, end quote. Continue, quote, and is thus someone without any nationality or citizenship anywhere. This definition is considered to have achieved the status of customary international law. This is by the submission 
by the Office of UN High Commissioner of Refugees in Bedri Hoti v Croatia P1F, end quote. English court Shave accepted that 1945 definition embodies, as well as the 1954 definition, what domestic statute law means, with its 4004 provision in FAM v Secretary for State for the Home Department, prima facie, the law, seems to be on the side of the Home Secretary here. Quote, under the operation of its law, end quote, can certainly used to be justified, and when we talk about the SIAC's legalist approach. But there is an argument to be made that the opposite is also, of course, true. The word operation, to me, implies practice. It is not merely about what is written down in the statute books, but how it is applied. Whether or not Begum is eligible for Bangladeshi citizenship according to Bangladeshi law did not actually change the fact that the Bangladeshi authorities announced that they did not regard her as a citizen and would not even allow her into the country. Therefore, under the operation of Bangladeshi law, Begum would become de facto stateless if the Home Secretary's decision were to be upheld. The court found that B, not de jure stateless, but avoided engaging much with B's potential, de jure statelessness, by referring to the reasoning made in FAM. The court considered the reasoning in FAM at least highly persuasive, if not binding. But would it be a stretch of the words of the 1954 definition to argue that B is stateless according to the definition by being de facto stateless? To me, hardly. And even if it were, the courts have made a much bigger interpretation, and they have made much bigger interpretational jumps. One only needs to skim through an animistic LTD v. Foreign Compensation Commission, Gaiden v. Modin Mendoza, and many other cases to conclude that it is not certainly outside of the English court's ability, and occasionally willingness, to interpret something differently. The case of Shimimu Begum is therefore actually a case about legal interpretation. The ethical debate surrounding it should, instead of so often focusing on her background and young age without tying it to the legal arguments, have asked whether the court's willingness to adopt a different and here wider interpretation only extends to non-minority persons, not being accused of actually being terrorists. So why was this debate and interpretation not taken. The wording clearly permits it, and it is hard to see how it does not encourage a wider interpretation. Such a debate would be a stronger and more informed one than one which merely focuses on the moral side of a legal discussion. None of this is an excuse for Begum's actions, nor it is a defense of a character, but there is reason to believe that her legal claim had more legal merit than the mere focus on ethics ethics and politics make it seem. The legal debate about the case should be reframed to consider the legal side more and not just look at the morality of the decision itself. I did use many sources for this and resources so I will be citing my sources now. So the following are news articles that I used. I used the Aina Khan, quote, Shamima Begum is a product of Britain. She should face justice here, close quote, in The Guardian on the 7th of February, 2020. 
Next, I used Anish Kapoor, This Government Has Failed Shamima Begum, The Guardian, on the 11th of February 2020. Next, I used Shamima Begum, Is Teenager to Lose UK Citizenship? This is from the BBC in 2019 on the 20th of February. Next, and lastly for the news articles, I have Shamima Begum loses first stage of appeal over citizenship from the BBC on the 7th of February 2020. I used a lot of pieces of legislation, so the first one I used is the British Nationality Act of 1981. Secondly, I used the 1954 Convention relating to the status of stateless persons. Thirdly, I used the 1961 Convention on the Reduction of Statelessness. And lastly, I used the 2006 Convention and Council of European Convention on the Avoidance of Statelessness in Relation to the State Succession. The cases that I used were Shamima Begum, Preliminary Issues Substantive. I used FAM v Secretary for State of the Home Department. I used Animistic LTD v Foreign Compensation Commission. And lastly, I used Gaiden v Godin Minoza. Some other sources I used were the Council of Europe Convention on the Avoidance of Statelessness in Relation to State Succession Explanatory Report in 2006. And finally, I used the submission by the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees in the case of Bedri Hoti v Croatia, whose application number was 6331-14.